Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Movie Attic Headquarters with your host, Betty Jo Tucker, author of Confessions of a Movie Attic, right here at www.blogtalkradio.com. out there. This is Betty Jo Tucker thanking you for tuning in to Movie Attic Headquarters. You don't have to be a movie addict to visit here, of course, but if you are one, it's definitely the place for you. Today, I'm so excited because we'll be exploring movie magic in the field of special effects makeup with our guest, Todd Tucker, who's already a legend in that field. Todd has agreed to talk with us about his impressive cinematic career and groundbreaking creative process that's been used for special effects makeup in such famous films and some of my favorites, Pirates of the Caribbean, Van Helsing, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Mrs. Doubtfire, and Bram Stoker's Dracula. Now, Todd has worked in over 100 films and TV shows with some of the biggest actors and directors in the industry, and he recently founded Illusion Industries, a full-service special effects makeup production company, which I hope we'll hear more about during the show. Welcome to Movie Addict Headquarters, Todd. Oh, thank you very much, Betty Jo. I appreciate it. Well, we're so glad that you could be with us, and and as I mentioned to you before the show, we've got lots of questions for you, but before getting into our topic, let's check with Nikki Starr to find out if everything is ready in the chat room. Nikki, are all systems go for our chatters? They are, and I'm linking away, so we're ready. (laughs) Oh, thanks, Nikki, and thanks to the people who sign up to chat. We really appreciate them as well as our other listeners, and we also appreciate the fact that the mad movie man, A.J. Hockery, one of our favorites, has agreed to co-host today, and I see he's on the line, so let's say hi to him right now. A.J., thanks for agreeing to help with today's show. Anytime, Betty Joe. Always glad to hop in wax cinematic with you whenever you want. I'm so glad to hear that, and it's always great to have you back with us, and especially because this is an area of interest to you. But I wanted to tell all of our listeners and tell AJ how sorry I am. I just found out that um, the last couple of times that AJ has been on our show, I've uh, mentioned that he has a new, wonderful new blog, and I've... I haven't given it the right name, so I want to uh, make amends for that. AJ, will you tell everybody what your new blog is and uh, how they can find it? Absolutely. Uh, My new blog, uh, which should be celebrating its one-year anniversary this uh, coming summer, is called called a Cineslice, and that's spelled C-I-N-E-S-L-I-C-E, dot wordpress dot com. I review all manner of uh, weird out of the way movies. I I think this is the only blog I can think of that combines uh the imposter and Abbott and Costello go to Mars, so it's varieties <laughs> of spice of life and I pride myself on doing that. 
Well, you know that I just I love your your reviews and uh yeah, I know that you're you're very uh discriminating <laughs> with with your reviews, but very clever, very amusing and I I definitely recommend listeners to <laughs> to check out your Cine Slice <laughs> blog and thank you Nikki for uh putting the correct uh the correct um link in the chat room that's that's very uh very helpful now you mentioned that you you have you have an interest in weird out of the way movies but i know you're you're a great uh you're a great fan of horror films too and uh, i think that our guest todd has had lots of experience in that area so i'm so glad that you're here and in fact why don't you start the ball rolling with with some um, some of your questions for todd aj Absolutely, you know the horror movies. The big thing with uh, the big thing with those is uh, the makeups are more often than not, you know what get what are what are the images that stick out with people. You know, going way back to 1925, Lon Chaney's Phantom of the Opera. Like, how many people know that scene of him being unmasked, and you see like that death's head skull like look to him with those teeth bugging out and those sunken eyes and you know, moving on to the universal horror movies where uh, Bella Lugosi's uh, makeup, that whole setup, is, has basically become what the the vampire looks like. You know, someone, you ask someone, okay, what does a vampire look like? More often than not, they'll go right to Bella Lugosi's Dracula, even though they could probably have never seen Dracula in their entire lives. So makeup, makeup does more than just, you know, kind of make make things you know exciting and weird like they they stick with people they resonate with people so uh todd uh for our uh first question here you know there's no better place to start than the beginning so uh what drew you into the world of effects makeup to begin with um uh, well i was one of those only children that become a, became obsessed with uh the theater and movies and i i went to the movies every weekend like saturday and sunday all day long because i just loved watching films and oh, I mean, yeah. too. <laughs> going as far back as the wizard of oz um as a kid that just like uh was so mind-blowing to me and then you know so many great movies came out when i was a kid like you know jaws and star wars and et and all these great you know oh man legendary <laughs> films and it just sucked me in and i just loved all the uh the creatures and the characters and and kind of going to another world so as i got older uh and i realized i was artistic i started uh, just veering my artwork that direction and then started learning how to sculpt and paint and make masks and puppets and eventually uh, move to Hollywood and start doing it professionally. Cool. Oh my gosh, that's that whole part that you talked about uh, when you were a kid going to the movies on Saturday and Sunday. That that really resonates with me. That's exactly what. That's exactly the way I spent my weekends. And the Wizard of Oz. I have an original. Original poster of the Wizard of Oz. It's right. I'm looking at it right now. It's right above my desk. And it's got um, Judy Garland, Frank Morgan, Ray Bolger, Burt Lahr, Jack Haley, and in their characters, they're all their characters are looking down at me, and they inspire me. They inspire me every every day because I, I that movie just was perfect. I I just can't think of one boring moment in it. So so I identify with that. And now I know why we just had to have you on this show. Todd, because you're a movie addict. You belong here. 
No, I'm addicted. I am I am probably worse than a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, I, I even to this day, I mean, my family, I take them out to the movies usually at least at least every other week we go out and I just uh I just can't get enough of it. Um and it it really for me, it really changed my life cuz I since I've seen Jaws, I have not gone in gone into the water. Um I mean, it I had life long impact from films uh, that probably could use a lot of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know the feeling. I know. Well, I'm sorry I didn't mean to break in AJ, but I, I had to. Uh, I had to mention how much uh, Todd is like us because AJ, I know you're the very same way. Oh, oh God, yeah. I grew up as a kid in like the late '80s and early '90s, so I got you know the Goonies and Back to the Future and Fly of the Navigator and. Terminator 2, Jurassic Park, all these like really great special effects-driven movies that still had really good stories, interesting characters, and all these like all this ambition to them. And I kind of feel like the same way you did. Like I would kill to like have grown up in the 70s to be there to watch Star Wars for the very first time, like not having known anything about like oh here's this new movie then just being totally blown away i'd love that feeling man i'll tell you what i was really really young but i i when i went in and saw star wars the first time and there was nothing really they didn't really publicize it before it came out it just kind of came out right and i gotta tell you i i literally counted i as a child saw star wars in the theaters 87 times Wow. <laughs> you've got you've got a, you've got me beat on that one. <laughs> I tell you, it was uh, I just loved that movie. I just it was life altering. It was amazing. Hey, my my record's only seeing the Jackass movie twice in the theater, man. You got me beat good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Star Wars made a difference. Star Wars made a difference to us uh the movie addicts because that really took us, you know, <laughs> well, it, re- it took us to places that we never thought that we would we would ever ever go, and uh, the characters in it uh, that just were so uh, believable, no matter what they were doing or what they looked like, uh, and of course that the makeup there, I mean, right. the special effects there. Uh, I I know. I know why you did go 87 times. Well, the so, cool thing, too, about Star Wars is one of the first uh, big feature films that that got into merchandising. So as a kid, to be able to go get all these great toys of the of your favorite movie, you really didn't have that before that. That's right. Yeah, the, the action figures and everything that you could get, that's true. In fact, Lucas apparently made a deal with the studios that uh, he got to keep all of the merchandising because they hadn't really done that before, and they had no idea what they gave up. And the rest is history. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> now, that that part I didn't miss out on, because when the special editions came out in the 90s, they brought out all the toys again. It's like, well, I can collect these now. <laughs> Mom, five of those, please. Yeah, they and they had no problem branching that out with all the different cartoons and video games and all the different things it became. It's it's a it's a huge brand, probably one of the biggest brands ever. I know. And I, I do love the idea of ha- well, wait, I'm thinking back to the Wizard of Oz. There <laughs> I remember now I'm I'm no spring chicken and I did see the Wizard of Oz when it was first released and there were these little sets, soap sets. <laughs> you could get you could get the scarecrow, the tin woodman, the cowardly uh, lion and you could get uh Judy Dorothy and you could get these little soap sets, and I, I really wanted uh, my mom to buy out the store, 
<laughs> How cool is that? You can like enjoy your favorite film and be squeaky clean at the same time. Exactly, exactly. So anyway, that was that yeah. Kind of sh- kind of shows you how far we've come when it uh, big high tech expensive toys today. But back in the day, soap could keep a kid occupied. Like they were happy with soap. But then <laughs> there was simplicity there for sure. Right. So well, well, we want to talk uh, about uh, about your your films primarily yeah. today, Todd. So I I know that AJ has uh, some questions about about your very own film. So go ahead, AJ. Absolutely. Uh, getting back on the subject here, you know, you've done over a hundred films and TV shows and all sorts of stuff. Uh, which ones uh, have you had like the best experiences? Working on like which one like brought which ones brought like the most enjoyment to you? Um, you know it's funny because uh, as I started doing this, one of the first films I worked on was uh, Hook, and working with Steven Spielberg, who was my all-time favorite director of, you know, from all the the great films he did, and then on top of it, I was in awe of Robin Williams. I grew up and wanted to be Robin Williams at one point, yeah. so to actually get a chance. <laughs> early in my career to to meet Robin Williams and do makeup on him and then, you know, to watch Spielberg every day uh, directing was just a dream come true. And it was probably only my year and a half into my career. Um, that was amazing. And then I would say more recently, um, I went on set and uh, did the Smurfs 2. Um, we created the look for Gargamel, the uh, Hank Azaria, the actor plays Gargamel, the, the villain, and... We did the original, the first film, but I didn't go on set and apply. I recently, last year, spent three months in Canada uh, on set every day putting Hank in the makeup. And it's one of those situations where Hank is such a great comedic physical actor that when you put a makeup on him and he becomes, literally becomes that character, uh, and, and he's just hilarious, every day on set is is fun. And, you know, you're doing 16-hour, 17-hour days sometimes. It's nice that it can be fun once in a while, too. So... It was a great experience, and uh, there's been so many films I've been on where the experiences have been really amazing, especially when you're working with actors like Gary Oldman uh, back in Dracula and, and watching him perform, and and even like Robin Williams in, in Mrs. Doubtfire. That was so amazing to watch him after we put the makeup test on him and watch him become that character and just transform. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a borderline magical. <laughs> so... So many of the, of the films I've been lucky enough to work on have just been those kinds of experiences. The makeup is so important to these uh, to these characters. I'm I'm glad you mentioned about uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. I I just imagine that, that uh, you're right that, that that Robin Williams just turned into Mrs. Doubtfire when when the when the makeup came on. <laughs> I mean, it just that that really. When Cloris Leachman was on our show, she talked about how. She got into character in those Mel Brooks movies, and by the you know by the costume and makeup, and you're really. I just want to thank you for getting into a field that that's so important to movie addicts. I mean, we we do want to uh, want all of these characters to look look real, no matter how how weird they're they're supposed to be, and to work with your your first assignment work with Steven Spielberg. I am so jealous of you, Todd. Well, you know, it's it's also one of those things, too, where, you know, the actor, actors can react different way to makeups, too, because some actors, you can put them in a makeup and they become very stiff because they can't get past the uncomfortableness of the prosthetics or the lenses or the fake teeth or, or whatever it is they have to wear. 
And then you have some actors like uh, like even Jim Carrey when we worked with him on the first Mask movie. Um, oh my gosh! We just all we had to do we did a head cast of him uh, for the film before we started creating the makeup in Florida while he was filming Ace Ventura and he hadn't really become a huge star yet. And uh, we were in a hotel room doing his head cast and we had made some fake teeth that were the mask teeth. And we fit them in him just to kind of see, you know, what they look like. And, see, and they were really big, so we wanted to make sure he could still talk. And I, and I kid you not, we put those teeth in him, and it was like turning on a light switch. He started bouncing off the walls, literally, <laughs> turned into this character. And I remember me and the two guys that were there, we were literally on the ground laughing uh, so hard because he just went nuts. Um, oh, and it was just so much fun to watch somebody transform like that because of something that you've done to them. So it's, it's a really cool experience. Oh my gosh! Yes. You not only work with Steven Spielberg, you work with Jim Carrey. <laughs> this is—I'm getting greener and greener with with envy. I, I have—I'm looking right up here now to the left of of uh, my desk, and there's an eight by ten glossy photo of Jim Carrey just looking looking at me, and um, uh, the reason I have that is uh, after a Ventura. I wrote him a little uh, letter telling him what I thought he should do with his career. I, I believe it was Ace Ventura 2, and I wasn't too happy with that. And so a um, couple of weeks later, here comes this photograph to me, signed, Spank you very much. <laughs> He's got this sad face, you know, just looking out. So that was the way he responded. And you have, you really have worked with uh, with with some of the top uh, people in the in the industry. And um, again, I'm interrupting AJ. I know I know he has some other questions. So uh, sorry again, AJ. I'm just apologizing to you all no, it's... all day today. Go ahead. I'll be quiet. And... Uh, no problem. But yeah, uh, the the whole makeup process is really can be really arduous to some people. It kind of makes you uh, realize what a pro uh, Boris Karloff was back in the day for the Mummy to have all that like very like torturous makeup. Like you watch some of the documentaries and hear Rick Baker, you know, talk about everything that was done to him, and it's like, oh man, how did he even get out of that shoot like with his sanity intact? Well, those but, yeah, makeup. Uh, Hours and hours too, because they didn't have the technology back then. So those hour, those makeups, I think some of them took up to six, seven hours. Exactly, it, it can just be really daunting for a performer or and for a uh, effects technician. So uh, leading off of that, like which assignments of yours, like were were the biggest challenges? Like which ones where you did you just kind of look like, oh man, how am I going to do this? Well, um, let me let me go ahead and say this right off the bat too. When I say me working on these shows, me is a team of, of artists all working together. There's usually mm -hmm. any makeup that yeah, you, yeah. there's usually four or five people that, that have their hands on it. So, you know, it's it's a team of people that do this. But um back in the day I think one of the projects that we worked on that everybody in town said they wouldn't touch uh because it was borderline impossible was turning the Wayans brothers into white chicks. Um, oh yeah. That was tough. Um, just because, you know, the guys are pretty, you know, it wasn't just turning them into women. It was turning them into attractive women. And the guys <laughs> are guys, you know, and they and, and they were actually in pretty good shape. So it was like they went on uh, they went on diets. We did a number of different makeup tests to try to find that look. And on top of it, in the film, they're supposed to look like two other girls. So it wasn't just a gender change. It was also matching, trying to match 
uh, the other two girls in the film that they're supposed to look like. So that was a really tough one. I think we did okay. It didn't, it didn't nail it, but I, I think the characters that we created and the way they played it off was, is what made that movie work. Oh, my gosh. That, what a challenge that, that would be. But I, I do think that you, you rose to the occasion because they did look okay. That was a lot, that, too, because we had to airbrush their entire bodies at time to, to skin, uh, change the skin tone. And then they had full prosthetics on their face and dentures and blue lenses and wigs and high heels. And I don't, I don't know what they were thinking, <laughs> but it, it worked really well. I thought the movie came off really well. Well, have you ever had a um, an assignment offered to you that you turned down, and and then you you kind of wish that you you hadn't? You know, um, not really. I've had to turn down offers. Actually, the the one thing that I've had to turn down because it can't be done successfully uh, is that I got pulled in by a major director on a film, and they wanted me to take a. A uh, 32-year-old, very famous actress, and make her look 18, and youth, oh. and do a youth makeup on her. Now, we've tried this before. It's you can do uh, lifts and actually pull their skin back and try to get almost like a a poor man's facelift. You can do things like give them dent, uh, give them um, braces, and obviously do their hair and their makeup different. Give them pimples and little things like that. But I was shown a picture of what this actress looked like when she was 18 and how she looks now. And I, the the director said, I've had people come in and say they can do this, and you're you're the top person. Tell me the truth. Can this be done? And I told the director, if I could truly make people look that much younger and be very real about it, uh, I wouldn't have to do makeup effects anymore because I would be rich <laughs> beyond belief. Oh, yes. <laughs> it really can't be done. And when we worked on Benjamin Buttons with uh, Brad Pitt, as an example, we did all the old age makeups, but as soon as Brad was at the age that he really is, when they started going younger than that, they had to do it digitally because there's really no way to, to do it as a makeup. It just doesn't work. So uh, there's been a couple times I've been asked to do that, and a lot of people might jump in and say, yeah, we can make that work and, and do a you know a job that doesn't really work. But the reality is it's it's pretty much impossible to truly make somebody look that way. Well, the um, makeup on uh, to make people look look older is not a problem, but it's making them look younger that's that's a problem. And what a, and uh, then you know changing gender. And I was thinking about the makeup job on Glenn Close in um, Albert Knobs. Did you happen to see that uh, movie, I did. Todd? I did. And what did what did you think about that? Uh, the work on Glenn Close to make her look like a woman playing a man. and Well, here's the just... thing with those kind of makeups and, and also with old age makeups. The problem that most people have and, and the biggest problem that effects artists have is that they tend to make it look too doughy. Um, mm -hmm. When you do a buildup on someone's face, it's always going to get bigger than their actual face, but you have to create the sculpture in a way that the illusion of depth and, and not getting too fat on the face, it's very important. So that makeup that you're talking about was really, really subtle and clean, and that's why it worked, because it didn't feel like she was wearing makeup. And that's really the trick on those kind of makeups is to not have anyone notice it and take them out of the moment. Uh, otherwise, it'll kill the makeup and it'll kill the film. That's a good point. And um, the other uh, one that I wanted to ask you about related to aging, you've, you've kind of answered it because in uh, The Iron Lady, yeah, the uh, it was uh, 
makeup. I mean, the, the there was an award given out for the Oscar award, and I believe the Iron Lady did get the the makeup people for that. God, and I didn't know why because I didn't see that much of a change, you know, in Meryl Streep. And of course, they didn't. They couldn't go younger to have her, you know, play Margaret Thatcher younger. They hired another actress to do that. Right. So. So I don't know what was I mean were there some nuances there that I was not aware of what what was your opinion of that job uh, that makeup was really well done too it, I I'm not exactly sure ex- all the different appliances she had on I know for a fact that uh, she had a full neck wrap so her entire oh. neck is an appliance um, also really? I'm pretty sure that they have uh, some additional pieces on her face. Um, I haven't really gone in to see what the different pieces were, but she's wearing prosthetics, and the reason why it worked is because you can't tell that she's wearing it. It's very subtle, and the sculpture on that makeup is probably paper thin. It's really, really thin in order to Mm -hmm. get all the movement and also not make her look like she's puffy. So I think that's probably why you, you can't tell where her makeup is, is because it is so thin and so subtle. So you uh, approve of that award going to the makeup people that did uh, the work in that film? Yeah, because, you know, those kind of makeups are really hard to do for the simple fact that if you look at a makeup that's an old age makeup or something in that zone, if something isn't right instinctually, and you may not know what it is, you may not be able to point your finger at it, but something doesn't feel right about it, it totally takes you out. When you're doing a monster or something over the top, it's much easier because people have already accepted that and, and there aren't really monsters. But you can take the, mar- the the makeup on her and put her next to an elderly person and it should feel as natural as it looks when you look at a, a real older person. So it's really hard to do these more subtle makeups and these old age makeups and make them convincing. Yeah, oh, I, I, I remember I remember a couple of years ago seeing uh, the movie Alpha Dog, the one with you know Justin Timberlake and Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. And Sharon Stone's character in the movie, you know, like it was it was set like in the present day or whatever, and like she looked like Sharon Stone. And then in the last like three minutes of the movie, all of a sudden she's just like in this really obvious like uh, like fat suit makeup, and it just looked like the most awful thing. It's like why did you have to do this? Like two minutes before the movie ended, like you were. Like you were had a home run going, and now what is this? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good example of taking you right out of the film, though. Yeah, that's true, and you don't like to like that to, to happen. And and speaking of monsters, one of um, one of our favorite monsters. That's I'm talking about um, AJ and me. We love Hellboy. Oh yeah. And, what what do you think of the makeup that uh, job that was done on uh, is it Perlman? Yeah, uh, Ron Perlman. Uh, well, here's here's an interesting fact. Uh, the guy that taught me how to sculpt and paint is uh, one of my best friends. His name is Matt Rose. Matt Rose was in charge of Hellboy, designed Hellboy, and completely ran with it for Rick Baker uh, on the first one. But it's all Matt and uh, he and another person that that also trained me back in the day is another guy named Steve Wang. I'm pretty sure Steve might have worked on that also. Actually, Steve did work on it. He created the Ape Sapien character. The uh, the oh, uh, I love that character. So those two guys are are the guys that taught me back in San Jose when we were all kids hanging out together, and they are completely responsible for for the reason why that film looks as as cool as it is, and and the makeup <laughs> look great. Uh, Matt actually sculpted a design of that makeup to help get the film 
uh, financed. So it, it really is those guys that pulled it off, and they did an amazing job. And, and Hellboy, in my opinion, is one of the best um, examples of utilizing prosthetic makeups and CG versions of the same characters and combining them throughout the film where you can't tell where they where they change from a, a digital character to a makeup, it's flawless and seamless. And it's one of the best examples, I think, of doing that. And when I get hit with the question, you know, do you hate CG? No, I don't hate CG. It has its place, and it works really well. And that's a great example of being able to use both mediums to make it work. Oh, I, well, I I just uh, I, I watch that movie every chance I get, Hellboy 1 and Hellboy 2. And, AJ, are you still as fond of uh, of that character and, and those films as, as you were when they first came out? Oh, absolutely. And not just uh, the Hellboy design, like the like all the all the creatures, especially like in Hellboy Two, when you've got like the prince and princess there, and like all these like really distinct cool designs, and you've got that combined, like like you said, the combination of practical effects and CG that's virtually seamless. You know, I I am guilty of you know kind of harping on CG and my reviews and it being overly used, but it can be useful, like if pulled off really well. And Hellboy and Hellboy Two are like two really good examples of those kind of styles coming together to create this really fascinating world. Uh, I'll tell you what, we um, back in the day I worked on The Passion of the Christ with Mel Gibson, and I was doing his makeup uh, on a film called The Singing Detective, and he started explaining that he was going to do this Jesus movie and started kind of going into it, and, and we talked to him about opening up a CG company and doing all of his practical effects and his CG, and he let us do it, and we opened up a company... Um, and did a hundred and I think 138 visual effects shots, but because we owned the visual effects company and the makeup company at the time, we were able to combine the two and come up with new ways of using both practical and CG. Uh, and you can't see it; it's it's relatively flawless throughout the film. And there's a great marriage there. And for a while, films were getting really CG heavy and and kind of video game like, which is fine mm-hmm. for for you know the audience that loves video games, but for the moviegoers who want to feel like it's it's really happening, um, I think The Passion of the Christ actually had a, you know, whether you like the film or not, it had a really good marriage of, of both mediums, and it worked pretty well and had a good impact. I think, yeah, yeah, I think well, yeah one of those. Oh, sorry, Betty Jo. No, that's okay. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, a couple of years ago when the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street remake came out, you know, I saw it, and, like, it was just, absolutely terrible terrible movie and i talked like kind of younger people and they're like oh i like that i like the effects in this one better it's like the ones in the 80s one that was just so lame and it's like are you are you kind of kidding me like the cg wave of like fake freddy coming out of the wall is like more convincing than knowing that yeah there's a guy like stretching his hand over her bed in that original movie it's like it may look a little bit on the dated side now but at least like watching that original elm street movie there's somebody there like it has substance and in stuff like the elm street remake and the mummy returns which you know is kind of an early example but still had that really awful rock uh <laughs> crab monster thing going on that is absolutely awful it's hard to think how people can look at it and go yep that's okay i accept that it's like what <laughs> but you do have... oh, I told you he's very very discriminating, and you know while we're uh, on the topic of monsters, I have to ask you this, Todd. What's up with Monster Mutt? I think you've been doing some directing as well as doing your uh, special effects and uh, makeup, right? 
Yeah, I um, about six years ago, I got in the DGA and started directing and producing. Um, for a while, I was second unit directing some of the films that we were doing makeup effects for because I knew how to shoot the effects. And then uh, I created this story called Monster Mutt, which is uh, about a family dog who gets kidnapped by an energy drink company and is used as a test subject and becomes this big, lovable, overgrown monster dog. And uh, <laughs> it find its way home. The kids try to... Uh, find a cure for him before they get found out. It's very kind of my Spielberg, Jim Henson combination film from, you know, my childhood. It's a very sweet, soft film. It's, I made it for kids like 5 to 10, but it's not downplayed to kids. It's it's fun for adults, too. Uh, and we did everything practically. I did a, a guy in a big dog suit. I didn't try to make it look real because I was making it for kids. I didn't want to go with a big CG dog and make it scary. I was trying to make it lovable and kind of like E.T.-ish in that sense. And uh, it ended up doing really well. It it uh, it won uh, the best comedy at the International Family Film Festival. It got worldwide distribution. Uh, you can see it now at DirecTV, iTunes, and Vudu. And it was a Walmart exclusive, and you can get it at Walmart, Target, and Amazon.com. So it ended up doing. Oh. Oh, good monster mutt! I I nice. have to get a get a copy of that, and that sounds right up uh, right up AJ's alley, especially. Uh, since it, it has one of our one of our um, friends of the show in the cast, I believe Zach Ward. Um, oh, is he yes. playing one you of? You guys know Zach. Zach has been. We every every Christmas we do around Christmas we do a tribute to a Christmas story, and Zach Ward uh, is the guest that that we have him on on tape, and so we always play his uh, interview around yeah. Christmas time, and he's just a delight. So what did he play in Monster Mutt? Well, he is the owner of the energy drink company who's the bad guy <laughs> who ends up getting bit by the dog when it's escaping, and he slowly becomes a monster throughout the movie uh, and becomes a full-on creature at the, at the end. And I, I tortured Zach and put him in a huge monster suit. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to kill me. He was like, dude, Really? I was like, I'm sorry, man. You got to do it. You got to do it. But uh, Zach and I have been friends for a long time. And when I started putting the movie together, I wrote him in as that character because he's such a great. He plays such a great villain, and and he's so funny. Yeah. He's got really good comedic timing. So it was it was a no brainer for me. Well, uh, AJ, are you are you going to put that monster mutt on your list of movies to see? It's up there, man. You know. It, uh... Zach Ward is like an energy drink tycoon. You know, Scott Farkas did pretty well for himself, i got to say. I'm going to check this one out. I did. <laughs> I got some other really good actors in there. I got uh, Mindy Sterling from Austin Powers. She was Frau okay. Harbissina. Um, I've got uh, Bart Johnson, who was the dad from High School Musical. I got a lot of Disney Channel stars in there also. Brian Stepanek, who was from The Sweet Life of Zach and Cody, a great actor, really good uh, physical Jim Carrey-esque kind of actor. And uh, it was great. I was really lucky to get the, the uh, cast that I got. Well, I can hardly wait to wait to see that one. And the time is going by, and I haven't had a chance to ask you about your uh, company. Uh, I really like the name that that you've chosen for it, Illusion Industries. So, is that the company that you were talking about when you were um, doing some stuff for for Mel Gibson, or is this a whole new company? No, uh, all the films that we've talked about, for the most part, I was one of the creative directors and uh, key artists for, but I did not own the company. Um, three years ago, I opened Illusion Industries. 
Um, I needed to be able to make sure that the company can deal with what Hollywood is now, and Hollywood is not is not paying the money, and the time frames to build stuff is much faster. So you got to be, you know, do it for half the price and half the time now. But I wanted to make sure that I created a company and surrounded myself with a team that was able to do that and keep the quality up. Um, and the funny thing is, is for the first two years of Illusion Industries, we were doing all these films, but nothing had come out yet. And everything we've done over the last three years is coming out this year, uh, starting with G.I. Joe, which comes out in two days. Uh, we right. did the Smurfs 2, which comes out in July. We did a movie called The Iceman, which is a really cool mafia film with uh, Michael Shannon and Chris Evans. Really cool, uh, just intense film. And then we also did a couple horror films. We did Fright Night 2, uh, and we also did a movie called The Devloff Pass. And then we did two drama films. One's called Fort Bliss, and one's called The East. And the cool thing is, is when I opened Illusion Industries, I wanted a, a brand for the company that could do all kinds of movies, not just horror movies, not just fantasy, but do everything across the board. So with all the films we have coming out this year, we've got everything from old age makeups, character makeups, monsters, trauma, uh, likeness makeups, and it's really cool because it shows the range of what the company can do. That's awesome. an exciting project to be involved in, and my gosh, all of these all of these films that are that are coming out, we're definitely going to be looking forward uh, forward to them. Now, uh, AJ, I haven't uh, given you a chance. To, I, I know of your interest in uh, horror films, and I think there there was a uh, there was a question that you wanted to ask. Uh, Todd about horror films. I've forgotten what it was. I I hope you remembered. I did. Uh, like like I was talking earlier, you know, about the Elm Street remake. You know, all these old eighties and past uh, slasher movies and stuff are kind of getting resurrected. And now that you've uh, started moving into the uh, directing kind of aspect of things, and as well as you know, building your uh, creations and stuff. I just uh, was wondering, was there like a, a horror film that you think that you might uh, like to take on as a director sometime, like with your own team working on it, like that you can maybe even improve, something like old, uh, terrible movie that you can kind of make better? Be like a remake <laughs> of something? Yeah. Uh, you know what was a, a, a cool movie that hasn't been remade yet that I think you could put a twist on and make it really scary? Do you remember the movie The Changeling? Yeah. yeah, George C. Scott. Yeah, you take that one and and tweak it for a current day, you could make that scary as hell. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> that would be one I would like to tackle. That would be all right. Who would you like to cast in it? Ah, oh, wow. Uh, I don't know. Uh, you know what? Maybe... Yeah, I, wow. After George C. Scott, that's a tough... Uh, that's a tough I was going to say... <laughs> I don't know. You know who Anthony Hopkins? Oh, all right. There you he go. can play he can play just about anything, so that would be that would be a good one. Well, we we hope that that uh, that that will happen. That you could, the <laughs> yeah, I'm actually this year I have a new project that we're putting together right now that's a uh, supernatural action film uh that we're going to be shooting in June and should be coming out probably later this year, but it's uh I don't want to tell too much about it, but it is uh it's filled with uh, creatures, and uh, the the subject matter is Louisiana legends. Hmm. Oh, that's that sounds great. Yeah, it's gonna be very very cool. I'm excited. I, I haven't. Uh, I've kind of put directing aside for a couple of years when I was reestablishing Illusion, but I've been working on this for about a year now, and we uh, we're ready to move forward on it. It's gonna be really cool. I'm very excited. 
Well, we're very excited to hear about all of the projects that you're involved in, and it it has been so much fun talking with you. Um, I hope that we can get you back because 45 minutes isn't long enough to uh, you know to have you uh, as a as a guest. Would, would you agree to come back in the future and uh, continue this discussion? I would be happy to, and if it's okay, because I, I respect my team so much, if it's all right, I can give a shout-out to my crew here, um, my, my business partner, Ron Halvis, my two key artists, Martin Astles and Joe Caldwell, and my two production coordinators, uh, Adam Walls and Jane Finster. They are definitely the reason why I am able to do all of this. And if any of your um, audience wants to check us out, you can check us out at illusionindustries.com, and we also have Illusion, Illusion Industries Facebook and Twitter. I encourage all of our listeners to uh, to find out more about uh, Todd and Illusion Industries, and um, we'll be looking forward to having you back on the show. I I do think we have a, a minute here where we can ask uh, Nikki if she has any uh, comments that she would like to make, unless she's multitasking there in the chat room. Let's see if she's available now. Nikki, you're on. Yeah. Hi. Well, I, I we just have loved the show, and um, we don't have very much time left, so hopefully you'll get to come back. But I was wondering, you know, like what most people do in their in their makeup chair, but it's going to take a while. I know. I imagine if you were doing sleeping, do they sleep or do they listen to headphones? Are you really the one that does it all? I mean, you know. Everyone's kind of different as to what makes them relax. I try to get the actors as comfortable as possible because it's usually at least an hour, if not three hours worth of makeup time. So, you know, I try to find out what kind of music they like or if they're, you know, if they like the lights a little lower or candles or whatever. Just find out what their thing is so that they can at least uh, try to enjoy the experience on some level. That's awesome. Great question, Nikki, and a wonderful response. And I, I am just so sorry to have to say that the time is, is almost up. And I, I want to thank you, Todd, for being such a fascinating guest and wish you the very best for success of Illusion Industries, and we'll look forward to hearing from you more in the future. But this is Betty Jo Tucker giving a big shout-out to the folks at Blog Talk Radio for featuring this episode as one of today's staff picks. We really appreciate it. And big shout-out to our excellent co-host, A.J. Hockery, and producer extraordinaire Nikki Starr for all her help. Special thanks again to, to Todd. And to our chatters, I'm sorry we didn't um, pay that much attention today to chatters, but there was just so much to talk with uh, Todd about. We really appreciate uh, the chatters for for uh, being with us and also all of our other listeners. I hope everyone enjoyed the show. Please come back next time when our guest will be the great Tony Babino, who is a singer entertainer extraordinaire and many of you heard him with his Al Jolson imitation on last week's show and we get him for the entire show next Tuesday so I hope uh, you you will uh, join us I'm sure you will enjoy that show that's all for now folks so in keeping with today's theme about special effects makeup I don't think we can go wrong by closing the show Doing the Time Warp again, which is one of Nikki's favorites, and it's from, of course, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. So I want to see everyone up and dancing the Time Warp right now. It's astounding. Time is fleeting. Madness 
takes its toll. But listen closely. Not for very much longer. I've got to keep control. Thank you. 